0: You are listening to The Tech Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to The Tech Leadership Show. Today with me I have Mike Itor. His distinguished record of providing effective leadership and achieving superior results is a war- in a wide range of challenging environments stems from his unique professional background. In addition to having retired as a Marine Corps infantry officer and decorated combat leader, he also served successfully as a C-level executive in a publicly traded professional services firm with an annual revenue in excess of $1 billion. Ooh, impressive. I'm already excited about the interview. Mike is the founder of Fidelis Leadership Group and the author of Trust-Based Leadership, Marine Corps Leadership Concepts for Today's Business Leaders. Hello, Mike, and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Andre. I am uh, pleased to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Same here, same here. And I am really curious on getting your viewpoints, especially with your background. I think it's going to be awesome. But before we get into that, Mike, would you want to add anything else about yourself?
1: Uh, the, you know, the, the intro you did was fine. Thank you. I mean, I was a, a U.S. Marine for 24 years, served in peacetime and combat infantry. Um, and then I, uh, I, you know, I retired from the Marine Corps in 1998, got with a publicly traded firm in 1999. And my initial role was as vice president of leadership development. And they hired me to start a leadership development program, which was nice. I did. And it was right up my alley. And then the dot-com crash hit uh, in 2001, 2002. And the, the bad news was the company almost went out of business. Our stock price went from $30 to about $1.50 a share. Oh, my and God. We, we, yeah, we were in big trouble but the good news was there was opportunity everywhere. So I, uh, they started giving me, thankfully, a lot more responsibility. I became in charge of a lot more things. And, and as a non-technical guy, I had no tech background, uh, I became the CIO of, of the internal CIO. technology group in uh, 2003, um, $45 million budget, 180. Techies in the group, no technical knowledge whatsoever, and it was it was a failing group. Um, and I'm I'm happy to say that as a non-technical CIO, uh, with the help of very fine people in that group, we turned that group around, and uh, what was clearly the worst performing back office uh, department into within two years clearly the front runner. And to the point where we were pulling off major enterprise level projects, almost as an afterthought, we were making it look easy. And so obviously I know this is a tech oriented podcast, Andre. And so, and you're focusing, I think, on helping techies become better leaders. So it should, and I say this humbly, it should, my case can serve as an inspiration, um, When I retired from the Marine Corps in 1998, computers were still new relatively, and I did not know how to save a file or forward (laughs) an attachment in 1998. And I was a little bit better in 2003, but still no technical background, yet I was, in fact, the CIO, uh, along with other duties of a publicly traded firm, a tech-heavy firm, um, for five years before I turned it over to my successor. So, uh, technology knowledge is not necessary for senior roles in IT. Uh, it's, Interesting. It's, a, it's, a, it's a nice to have, but all else being equal, I have seen many brilliant technologists not do well as tech leaders because their leadership ability did not come close to matching their technical knowledge and aptitude. So I guess the main message to techies is if you get in a leadership role, um, you, your leadership ability at some point has to outrun your technical ability because leadership and organizational yeah. skills, that is what's required to harness and synchronize the, the whole symphony of IT people.
0: And what, what would you say would be like the key to your success? Like you, you're not a techie um, and you, you got in the position of CIO and the department was failing and you managed to turn it around and make it like the, the shining crown of the company. So what did you do? Like what was the key to your success?
1: Yeah, there were several things, Andre. Um, first of all, I, again, uh, n- you know, when, I, when they announced I was taking over, I was the third CIO in three years. So the previous two CIOs yeah, were, were legitimately techies. They all had extensive tech experience, uh, master's degrees in computer systems and all of that. And they were good men. What What I think caused their downfall was they were ineffective leaders. They were not good at organizing and they were not good at communicating. And most importantly, they were not good at creating a culture of uh of unified purpose so you had in the it group you had four or five major departments and they were often bickering with each other not talking to each other not holding joint meetings so they were kind of on their own path so to speak so uh fortunately when i got there i mean they, they introduced me that day and i in the audience was 180 stunned techies because they knew me. i I had been in the company and they knew me and i think most of them that knew me that okay mike's a good guy but you know at that point the concept of a non-techie a military doesn't know
0: anything about technology a
1: (laughs) military guy coming in and they were just you could you could hear a pin drop in the room and I said, look, I'm, I'm just surprised to be here as you are to see me. Um, all, I add, you know, all I ask is that you give me a chance. I said, I, I bring no technical skills, but I do bring leadership and organizational skills. And I have been your customer for three or four years. So I, I am aware of how you do business and all of that. And I, I think I can add value. I think I can help if you just you know, give me a chance. And to their credit, they gave me a chance. There were many smart people in that group. I inherited several really good leaders, department heads, because, you know, let's face it, at right. some level, uh, I'm saying you don't need technical ability at the senior level. Well, at the department head level and, and you know, management level, you, you, need you do need technical knowledge, <laughs> you know. So so I brought uh, leadership, organizational skills, just things, Andre, as simple as we we're going to have meetings and the, uh, the 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 software department is not going to make purchases in isolation of the guys that run the servers and the hardware. So we oh. use I, I use all sorts of analogies. We I inherited a group that, you know, one department liked Ford automobiles and the other department <laughs> liked Chevy. And as you know, you just can't take a Ford engine and slap it in a Chevy, yet they yes. were doing that. So we, it was pretty much of a mess. So we got together and I asked them our advice, look, what are we going to be? Are we going to be Ford or Chevy? And if it's Chevy, then the decision is made and we use Chevy products. And if you, if you can't get with that, I understand if you want to use Ford, you know, if you, if you want to use, uh, you know, uh, certain systems and, and all of that, uh, then, then you're not going to be able to do that here. You're probably going to have to go somewhere else because we're making the best decisions for the company. And uh, they fell in line really quickly. Yeah. It, was, it was less my leadership and more, I think, that they were, they were thirsting for that kind of organization and decision-making and like, okay, here's the play. We've all agreed we're going to do this and let's do it. You know, let's, let's execute.
0: So, would you say that basically the major, the key to your success, like in that role, is that you opened up channels of communication across the whole division and got them on the same page?
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, as as the CIO, um, I I often thought that having no technical knowledge was actually a very it was a strength in that particular situation because I had no personal biases whatsoever. You know, it's hard for technical people. You've been a techie for 15, 20, 25 years and you you have biases and you, you prefer certain technology, certain tools, certain apps, certain yes. systems, certain products, but they may not be necessarily the best for your particular business environment. So I had no biases. Now I, in, I inherited people with biases, and I and here's where I here's where I added value. I made them sit down in a room, and on a, a chalkboard, list the products and list the pros and cons, and a matrix, and 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 mutually come to an agreement. Yes, in this case, this suite of products is better for our company and our business goals than the other suite, and. You know, I found once you gave people the the chance for honest debate and scrutiny, that you know the decision may not have gone their way, but they they saw that it was a fair process and an unbiased process, and they fell in line and and supported the decision. In in every case, I can't say enough good about them. I was I was a successful CIO, but I'll I'll say this: no technical ability. I did have leadership and organizational skills. But everything that was needed to succeed was already in that tech group. It was already there. We made no major hires after I came, and I think Whoa. that the previous two CIOs that that sat on the same group, same talent pool, um, what they what for various reasons. And I'm not bashing them. I'm sure they have their side of the yes. story. For whatever reason, they they just were not able to synchronize and harness and and focus the effort in along a unified path and so that that was what i was able to do with the great support of of my i mean all the way down to the last man and woman in the org chart so to speak it was it was a huge success they they gave me a chance and and i like to think that together we proved that leadership is always the answer in any environment, even technology where you have a lot of smart people uh, who don't necessarily want to be led uh, or, or, you know, they're very smart and sometimes they think they're smarter than everybody else and all of that. So they're, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad observation, but um, it takes uh, it takes real humility for technical people to, to, be willing to listen and, and follow the lead of a non-technical person like myself. So uh, it was it was a growth experience for me, a growth experience for them. I remain friends with them, um, and I just love the whole experience.
0: And Mike, I don't know if you understand how powerful this is, like for techies, at least for me, because I have a technical background, a pretty heavy technical background. And for your story, I just realized like one of the major, uh, let's say weaknesses that technical managers or managers of technical people that have a technical background themselves, the managers have is the fact that they have a bias for specific technology, specific way of doing things. And they try to, because now they're the leader, you have, even if you don't want, you want to at least to influence or send them towards your bias or convince them to work towards your bias. And as techies, we love to debate about technology a lot. So it's, and you have like, I don't think you have like really, you have interesting meetings when you're debating technology but uh is with other techies, sometimes you don't you don't come to a common <laughs> understanding. Yeah. You just spend a lot of time debating pros and cons, really good conversations, but not productive for the company. And the fact that you and I think this is like a key that every techie manager should take is even if you have biases, your job is don't don't impose your ideas, don't try to force them, get the team to work on their biases and come to a unified bias themselves without you trying to steer them in any direction. And if they get to that unified bias around what technology stack to use, what's best for the company, then they're going to use it. But if you also come with your viewpoint, it feels like it's an unfair game or conversation because you you are the boss in a way. And you can steer it in whatever part, and they don't. I, as I take, you would not feel like it was a fair discussion (laughs) about selecting the best for the company because hey, my manager has more power, and he's going to push whatever he likes. And I might not have had the opportunity to express all my ideas or have give have them given like the opportunity to shine as they should. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that.
1: No, I absolutely. I will add. uh, I agree with you. And in the scenario you describe, were interesting meetings, interesting conversations, but no closure. That's where the technology leadership comes in, Um, and especially if the tech and most technology leaders have a tech background. And so, to use an example, if 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 a technology leader favors, you know, has a people soft background, but others are arguing for Siebel. You know, it used to be, I think they bought Siebel, but you know, you yes. get my point. Ford and Chevy, uh, I think it is incumbent upon the leader to stand up and say, Hey, you all know that I have a PeopleSoft background. I want to make sure that you understand that I am not directing you to recommend a PeopleSoft product. We want a product, and it may or it may not be PeopleSoft related, to best serve the business goals. Yes. So, I'm going to be a little bit surprised and disappointed if you tell me automatically it's Peoplesoft. I'm going to drill into you and make sure there's a thought process. Why? Why Peoplesoft and not Siebel? Yes. Why not you know Salesforce.com? Whatever the technology is, you know whatever it is, it's incumbent upon people with biases to make sure their group understands i really do want your best recommendations as a team and we're going to discuss it in length and like how did you arrive at this particular suite of technology this technology stack how did you arrive at this as your collective number one recommendation because we're getting ready to invest millions of dollars and yeah. first of all it's, it's got to be right and second of all I don't want three quarters of the team to be sitting there upset because the dominant department had got his way just by force of will, because we've all yeah, seen that and yeah, that's, that's a important. recipe for disaster. So, yes. uh, I think it's, it always comes back to leadership to set the culture. First of all, I, I used to tell our techies, I used to make them repeat it. I used to start every meeting. Why are we here? We are here to support the sales operations, of a staffing company because I told them early on, look, I fellas, I know, I know you want to do good things, techies, and you want to projects and you want to build out your resume. We're going to get to do that, but make no doubt about it. The company is not here to support it. It is here to support and enable the company. And we can never, ever forget that. And quite frankly, some people in the audience were a little bit uncomfortable with that. I said, no, no, I'm not saying we're second-class citizens. What I'm saying is, Our only reason for being is to technically enable the people out there that are generating the revenue. That's the only reason why we're here. Now in the process, I think we're going to get to do some pretty neat technical projects and all of that, but make no doubt about it. The fighting man and woman, so to speak, is out in our 86 (laughs) field offices, not in the department, in the IT department. And, and that was a, That was an easy sell. I I just don't think anybody had ever said anything like that, to them like that before. And so it's, and listen, Andre, it's less, it's less of me being a, a great leader. I think I was an effective leader. The big lesson here is the IT group was very skilled technically, but they were woefully underperforming and all they lacked was just adequate leadership and organization. That's all they lacked.
0: Okay, so and that, that's something that it's pretty common, unfortunately, or at least from what what I've seen and I talk with friends, um, it's something that and as you said, I'm really happy that you said it, that it's not something that difficult to fix. You just have to step in and make sure to bring everybody together and say like these are the goals, paint the vision, and let's move forward. And and you're absolutely right, Mike. The goal of the tech department uh, is to build a product that gets used and has happy users that will give money back to the company. And the more money the company makes, the more the tech department is going to get all kinds of tools and toys to play and uh, have like fun projects afterwards. Absolutely. But if there's no money around, there's not going to be any toys around.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You hit it right on the head, Andre.
0: And Mike, I guess this would be like, uh, it it is an awesome leadership success story. Um, And I didn't get to ask you the question. It just appeared like for the conversation and it's so awesome. I like it. Um, I'm really curious now, what would be a leadership failure story that you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing?
1: A A leadership failure? Yes. Yep. It was my own. As the CIO. We were getting ready okay. to do, uh, so we're a billion dollar publicly traded company and we were doing an enterprise level systems integration. I don't want to say the name of it because it can help identify people who, who uh, didn't do well in this situation, but it was it was a customer management system that was the backbone of our company. This is a big deal. Okay. And so, again, no technical expertise on my part, but I... Uh, by this point we had, we, we were really well organized. We had great meetings and all of that. And long story short, Andre, several months into the project after receiving weekly status reports that, hey, things are good. We, I I and the executives and everybody think that we're several months along on this project. It was discovered that the project leader had been submitting false reports. Oh no. And yes. And so instead of being several months into a very large multi million dollar project, which by the way, we as a publicly traded company, we had to tell the Wall Street analysts, hey, we're investing money in this. And their next question is, when will it be implemented? And how much yeah. is it going to cost? And how much revenue do you think you're going to make? And so I was at an an annual executive offsite when a couple of my leaders called and told me the bad news. Mike, we, oh. we have, we had discovered this. So I made a few other phone calls and I had to go, we were at lunch at a lunch break. I had to go back into the executive. We were planning the strategy for the next three years, assuming that this project was going to be rolled mm. out in less than a year. Yes. And I had to go back in and tell them, ladies and gentlemen, I have some bad news. Um, we're going to have to rethink everything that is associated with this this project. And I can't even tell you how much mo- more money we're going to need to get back in there and write the ship. Um, so, you know, I was raised as a leader in the Marine Corps and in the business world. And I, I teach leadership. A leader is accountable for all that his unit does or fails to do so So you took all
0: the responsibility
1: so i it was it was on me and and if the company if the ceo had decided to fire me uh, i could not have argued with that now some would say well mike it wasn't your Mm. fault you were getting false reports that is true but ultimately Mm. um it's on me so yes the so I, and I admitted that to everybody and, and to their credit, I worked with very seasoned executives who said, yeah, this is not good news. Mike, uh, we're not happy that it happened, but there is no, uh, there's no way that, you know, uh, you cannot be lied to if someone lies to you and you have no reason to suspect they're lying. You know, we understand how this could happen. And so we sent, uh, so obviously the project leader um, left the company. We started from scratch and we successfully implemented that system two years after the initial projected rollout date. And, uh, yeah. and, and I will say this, that's the bad news. The good news was in the process of recovering from that, it made the IT group even stronger. Uh, and How was that? Well, they real. First of all, they realized that my insistence on uh, in perfect integrity and truth in reporting—that I was, uh, it was, it was, it was—I wasn't kidding. You know that I was taking this professional at face value, never suspecting that. The, uh, the reports were false. And, you know, I think it's instructive to say, it, Andre, at the end of the day, we have believed the reason why he falsified the reports was early on within the first couple of months, the project fell behind, you know, and mm-hmm. he was embarrassed professionally to raise his hand and say, ah, we're not where we're supposed to be right now. I need some help. And it was, I think, vanity on his part and pride. And, and, I, and I tell all the techies out there to listen. Raise your hand. Tell people when you yeah. need help. The, the non-technical executives were making the decisions. They want to help you. If you raise your hand and say, well, we're running into some problems and truthfully don't know if we can solve these on our own within our own IT team, well, then the natural response is going to be, well, what do you recommend? Should we bring in a consultant? Should we bring in somebody from the vendor? You know, what, what do you recommend? We want it to go well. Yeah. And we, we're not upset when our techies say, this one's a little bit beyond us. Or it's, it's just bedeviling us. We can't figure this one out. We need some help. Okay? We understand that. Because the business executives, they don't have all the answers either. So if they are yes. ha- happy to bring in consultants and talk to people, why would technology folks think that they wouldn't afford the same kind of consideration to their technical teams? So the, the bottom line is techies, know your limitations and be willing to know that you don't know it all in some cases, which I find a lot of techies are unwilling to do. They pride themselves in their oh, yeah. intelligence it's hard. It's and, hard and there's, there's ego there. And I, I prefer the guy to say, Well, I'm I'm pretty good, Mike. I'm not saying I know, I'm not saying I know everything. And <laughs> I know enough now about technology, Andre, to know that you may be an expert right now, but if you don't keep up with it eighteen months from now, you're already behind yes. in your application or your hardware or whatever. I mean, it's like being a in fact I think the learning curve in IT is even faster than being a physician. You know, a doctor oh, that graduated medical horrible. school yeah, 30 years ago, a doctor, he didn't learn in med school about, you know, knee transplants and hip replacements and all of that. Now that same doctor 30 years later has had to learn and keep current. And so he's doing operations and medical procedures that was he couldn't even conceive of in medical school. Well, I think the need for technology people to view themselves as lifelong professionals is even more important because the technology curve... Is much shorter and faster and so I think yes. the, my techies all told me yeah Mike if you if you don't keep learning in any aspect of IT uh, you got maybe two years to be relevant but after three four years you are well behind the pack now well behind oh. and and on your way to being yesterday's techie
0: yeah, it's really it's hard to keep up with all the tech trends, and it's a lot of work. And each year, more stuff piles on and it gets it's. Yeah. It's an insane treadmill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
1: wanna I wanna make sure I mention one thing. So this was this was my failure, at okay. at the at the executive meeting. One a subsequent executive meeting when I discussed okay here's what I, here's what my guys are telling me we've gone in and looked at this here's where we're really at with this, and I know you're disappointed and surprised, and I am too, but here's what we do, and they're recommending now that we bring in a couple of vendors and consultants and and I want to ask all of you executives, so I had you know maybe twelve executives staring at me i said i I respectfully ask i've i've never been." lied to like this before in an official capacity, fellas, you know, ladies and gentlemen, is there anything that you can think of that I could have done to prevent this or spot this early? And one of the executives, very experienced man, spoke up and said, Mike, it's very hard to prevent fraud when it's well done. And he and he came from a yeah. banking background, big bank. You know, he was a CFO of a major bank in America, multi-billion dollar, very experienced executive. And he said, what I would recommend is in the future, starting now with this re- re- renewed project, is that you bring in external auditors at various points in the timeline, the project timeline, so that you have assurance that the reports for week 10 are legitimate. Like these are techies that are coming in and they're like, yeah, your people say they're there, that they're at step five of a 15 step process. And we looked and they are at step five and it's actually, they're doing well and we gave them some tips. So I adopted that. That became uh, a standard operating procedure for all future technology projects and initiatives we would bring in external now these are hardcore techie auditors yeah. we, and we would tell our team look it's not that we don't trust you it came about because of the, the bad situation yeah, but situation. they they actually started looking at it as a as like a contest it's like what well, we yeah. know mike we know mike is going to bring in these auditors and they want to find something to justify what mike and the company are paying to them and we're going to do this so well, they're not going to find and 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 after a couple of years of doing this, the auditors, they were great guys. And they said, Mike, I got to be honest with you, not only are we not finding anything wrong, your team is really good. Like we're we, you, you probably don't need us anymore. And I said, well, I, I love that, but we're going to still keep going because it's become a practice now, because I do think that everybody yes. needs to know that. Even when you're doing well and all that, having some, some uninvolved, knowledgeable eyes looking at your work uh, is positive. And you know, these auditors went from checking to see if we were failing to observing and saying, fellas, I gotta be honest with you, you're doing it better than anyone we've ever observed. However, you might wanna look at this. I think you, you know, we think you might be able to yes. do this one slice better. And so it was a great relationship. We used those consultants for a few few years, uh, several years, actually. And so it it really turned around the IT group in the sense that we trust you, but we know you don't have all the answers. And it's your baby, and nobody wants to call their baby ugly. And so we're going to bring somebody in from the outside with an unbiased view who has looked at many projects like this to see where we're at and offer recommendations. And it, it was a win-win. So I... I throw that technique out there as one that I didn't think of, but I adopted. And, and I believe that, you know, 20 years later, they're still doing it in that firm. It it was a wise decision. And by the way, I, as an executive coach for the last seven years, Andre, I have recommended that technique to countless executives, even in non-IT related projects.
0: And it always, uh, it turns great every time. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really great idea. It's something that you, you just, I got like a big nugget of knowledge now <laughs> yeah. because I never thought about bringing outside auditors to look. So like, oh, I know, I know about tech. I can look myself, but it, it still gets into it. the egos can get in the way of actually evaluating correctly the project and you get in all kinds of discussions. But if you have an, Independent, unbiased third party that comes in. They do the evaluation. They give you the report. It's not. There's nothing to have like hurt egos or anything about it. It's just the truth. It's honest truth. What happens there?
1: Absolutely. And and this was not an adversarial relationship. Uh, These people didn't come in like secret police or anything. And a lot of that (laughs) had had to do with how how I and the tech leaders explained their presence to the entire tech team. This is why these people are coming in. This is a good thing. And I'd love to have them come back to me and say, Mike, you've got the best IT group I've ever seen. We didn't find anything. And for the most part, within a year or two, that's exactly what they were saying to us. So it became awesome. a contest, a good contest. Yes, yes. where Our, you know, our I I and the executives learned that our IT group really was as good as we thought it was because we had smart outside what
0: people can you want?
1: telling us, hey, we have been in 25 IT departments this, this last year and we've seen 12 of these same exact projects going on and you guys are at the top in almost every category of this project uh, rolling out. And so that was a real confidence builder and uh, nice. and I know I know a lot of uh, tech. I, one of my department heads is now the CIO of a four billion dollar company, and I know that he he still does that that external audit practice during projects and initiatives.
0: That's uh, I, I'm telling you, like from my experience, that's a really really amazing tip, like a pro tip, and. It- It has, especially because techies, they're highly competitive, especially with other techies and they want their work to be appreciated. And that's something that's, it's, it's unspoken. Like most techies, they starve for appreciation. And the only way to get it is mostly from other techies because they can understand the level of their work and what's going on and the kind of sweat and tears and blood that goes into creating what you're working on. And having like an external party could, I, I believe, could really motivate the department to do better work. And if they get good feedback, they're going to do even better work and they're going to be like really proud about it.
1: I, I no agree, Andre. Yeah. And I, 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 one thing uh, before we go on, I think it is the, the role of the IT leaders to recommend this practice to the senior executives who have no IT. Uh, experience And if you think about it, yes. IT folks are asking non-technical executives, decision makers, to give them millions of dollars in capital to do projects. Mm-hmm. If you're asking for $12 million to do a systems implementation, I seriously doubt that the executives are going to Uh, be upset at you if you ask for another $100,000 for external auditors to come in six times during the 18-month project. They're not going to be upset at you. In fact, they're going to be impressed by you. And one last thing on this, and we'll move on, Andre. The external auditor tip did not come from an IT guy. It came from an executive with a financial background. And in finance, as you know, a publicly traded company in America, we get, pub- we, by law, we have to have publicly, uh, public uh, auditors come in once a quarter to say, yes, the financial statements are real. We are putting our reputation on. We've gone over the books. If they said they made $0.23 cents a share, we agree. It's $0.23 cents a share. So he was used to an audit and controls background, and he suggested the technique – to be applied in a technical setting and it worked great. So IT people tend to think they know it all and, and I would say a lot of the best techniques and all of that that my techniques learned came from non-technical origins.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's amazing. And Mike, based on your 24 years in the Army and then a couple of decades in the private sector, what would be your, your leadership philosophy?
1: Well, I have to correct you. I wasn't in the Army. I was in the Marine Corps. So, in the uh, Marine Corps. This would be like uh, me I'm saying. I'm not from the, the, yes,
0: I don't know the difference. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it's, it's, yes. Well, you know how your nation has different branches of the military. Okay. And, uh, and if you tell someone that's uh, in the Air Force uh, that they're in the Army, he was say, no, 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 I am in the Air Force. I'm a pilot, you know. So we have the same thing here in the, in the US, United States. We have the Army, the Navy the Air Force, and then the U.S. Marine Corps. And so I was in the Marine Corps for 24 years. So it's not important. I know there was no uh, no slight <laughs> intended, but... Uh, no, no, no,
0: Here in Romania, it's, it's just the Army, and then it has okay. branches. So if somebody serves... It oh, says Okay. He- He's in the army, and then you can say like he's in the specialization of the army. Ah, oh,
1: I see. yes, yes. No, yeah. no problem. No, I understand that. <laughs> but, but but what was your question again before I rudely interrupted so you? So, what again? would
0: be what is your leadership philosophy?
1: Okay, my leadership philosophy. I get. I ask this of uh, everybody, and and here's mine. Leaders must always remember that they lead people and manage time assets and focus of effort and uh, i think that a leader needs to to have impeccable integrity they need to learn uh, to lead by example in all that they say and do they need to remember that they serve and enable those that they are privileged to lead and lastly they need to remember that leaders eat last and all that that term implies. And that, that is a Marine Corps term. Leaders eat last. In other words, Andre, when, when my Marines, when we were out in the desert and, and they brought food to us, <clears throat> the most junior Marines got to the head of the line and the officers got in the back. In other words, if the, food, if the food ran out, the officers went hungry, not the other way around. And so the term, the, the philosophy is leaders eat last. Leaders take care of their people and their people's needs before their own personal needs. And I think if a leader goes by those guidelines, they'll never go wrong.
0: And Mike, I was so surprised when I found out that in... <clears throat> All, like in all branches of the U.S. Army, you, the leadership model that it is used is servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Because it's something you, you you don't think like it's natural to use it in that context. So why, yeah. after you, why do you think it's, it, it's working so well in the Army and why should businesses also adopt it, business yes. leaders adopt it?
1: The Marine Corps is absolutely based on a servant leadership model. In fact, in 1921, one of our famous generals who was in charge of the entire Marine Corps, he actually wrote a a document that was so good, it's still used, and he described the relationship between officers and their men, their lower ranking enlisted men, not to be one of master and servant, but rather as teacher scholar. And so the term teacher scholar relationship is still very, very much used in the Marine Corps. And uh, his name was General John Lejeune. And he set the leadership philosophy and culture for the Marine Corps that still exists today. And if you read that, you would say, yes, I I want to be led like this. And I would certainly Mm -hmm. want my children to be led by a leader like this. So it's servant in any aspect. It's, It's any aspect, leaders. And I adopted that into business. And to be fair, all of the U.S. military embraces that culture. And I have found that the very best leaders in the business world embrace that culture as well. Leaders exist to serve and enable those they are privileged to lead. That's the only reason why you're there is to ask your people, how can I help you? What's bothering you right now? What's the friction points? What do you need? Do you have everything you need? I mean, a leader needs to be asking questions. And when, and when they and even if it's a manufacturing plant, and they go down and they, you know, what can I do to help? Well, well, boss, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's incredibly hot here. Could you get some water fountains installed? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. You know, and so, just a simple act of getting water fountains in a manufacturing plant and putting some fans in, um, you've taken care of your people. And yeah. they see that. They see it's a real, I mean, you've got a multi million dollar auto manufacturing plant and you're going to say no to $20,000 worth of water fountains? Of course you're not. <laughs>
0: yes, just the when not when the do it.
1: leader has to walk down there, Andre, and see and say, you know, you only got two fans. Would would, would you like enough, more fans? Can I do, it's hot here. Can I? How can I make, I can't air condition yes. it because of the nature of the place, but how can I do it? Well, yeah, you, you, yes, more fans would be helpful and more, more water coolers and all of that. And I have personally seen that done. And if leaders remember that they serve and enable the people they're privileged to lead, they'll never go wrong. And
0: Mike, I, I'm really, really curious. It's like a personal curiosity is, in all the movies where the Marines appear and you don't hear, you don't see the servant leadership in action. Mm -hmm. You see the Hollywood version of what it is. Why, why is that? Because it's, it's such a big gap between the two of them.
1: Absolutely. Well, it is, yes, you hit it on the head. It's Hollywood. And so (laughs) even when I entered the business world, people would associate me with Rambo, you know, Rambo, uh, you know, they, and and after several months, people would say, you know, Mike, I, I I know you were a marine, and I and you know, I'm I'm a I'm a large man, I'm a big physically, a big person, and and maybe even somewhat ugly and frightening to look at, you know. So they would say, you know, Mike, I'm I'm surprised. I mean, you don't you don't yell. You're actually very polite. And I said, no, listen to me. That's that's Rambo. That's the military movies. <laughs> In the Marine Corps, I find the Marine Corps had much more manners than the business world. In the Marine Corps, it would be, hey, would you please take a look at it? Even though I could say, hey, I need you to do it now, we don't talk like that. In fact, in 24 years, I can count on one hand, Andre, that I raised my voice. Um, Yelling yelling is not tolerated. uh, And if a Marine leader, is a habitual bully and and yells at people and demeans people he will be talked to very quickly very very quick somebody will take him aside and say hey hey hey, we don't do that even though i was an officer the human rights of those enlisted men who are 19 years old now i'm 35 38 and there's a big difference between an officer and enlisted um in 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 our military, I know some other nations' military. Not so the officers really live a better life, and the enlisted people don't eat well, sleep. Well, you know, it's and so it's their culture and tradition. But that is not the U.S. military's culture and tradition. So I'm not I'm not making fun of other people. I'm just telling you how it is with us. Yes, I I as an older guy now, forty year old Marine Corps officer. I would look at a 19-year-old Marine with, like he was my son. You know, I, I realize this Aww. is this, this is someone's child here, and and the very least I owe his parents is the very most leadership that I can give him. And so, you, I tell people whether you're, you know, the the word love is not usually associated with the Marine Corps, but the best yes. Marine Corps leaders love people they love marines they just love marines and they try to do everything they can to make their lives better because that makes for a better marine You yeah, know, you take care of them and they're going to take it's a hard job it's, it's physically demanding mm-hmm. mentally demanding and why wouldn't we try to treat these guys as well as we can knowing that hey there's going to be tough times where we're all you know in the desert or the jungle and you know getting shot at and it's difficult you know so it's one thing I brought to the business world I tell people and now I, I teach leadership to be at least an effective leader you have to like being around people you have to like people and taking care of people and sharing their problems and trying to help them out to be an excellent leader you have to love people you have to love people knowing hey i am the leader i can i can provide leadership and organization but most importantly these people know that i truly care about them I care about them. doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with them. It doesn't mean I'm going to be able to give them everything they want because I know I can't because I have budget limitations and all that. But they know at the end of the day, I have two agendas. Let's make the company successful, and I'm going to do my very best to take care of you in the process and help you become successful as a professional.
0: And, Mike, uh, <clears throat> you're absolutely right Like on on. You need to love people. And as counterintuitive as it sounds just now just by you telling me, especially with the contest of in the Marines and in the Army, you truly have, especially like in a war situation, your people need to know that you love them because then they will know that you will not expose them to unnecessary risk or send them in situations where they will risk their lives for nothing because right. you don't care about them, so they're expendable. So they, eh, have them go there. But if they know that you truly love them, then they're going to trust you and they're going to follow your orders and they're going to do, put their, li- their lives in risk, but they know that it's the minimum risk that is possible in that situation.
1: Yes, and they know the best leaders share hardship with their people. So when my Marines are in war, uh, the officers are right there with them. We're there. We jump out of planes, the officer's jumping out of a plane too. And in business, Andre, when we were pulling off big IT projects, as you know, toward the end, uh, with the Q and A phase and all of that, a lot of that requires weekends. You know, people have to come in yes. and to work on weekends because the, nice rest work, of, yes. the rest of the rest of the company's off. So now the systems can be fooled with, you know, yes. and not affect business operations. So there was a point in time in that big project I was talking about where we worked probably seven weekends in a row. We were working every day and probably seven weekends in a row leading up to the go live date. We were doing stress testing and all of that. And And we're
0: also on the weekends there with them.
1: Absolutely. Now, what did I do? Um, They were, they had a huge room where all the coders were there and they're looking at the QA guys. There was probably a hundred people in that room and nobody would have said anything if I did not come in on Saturday or Sunday because I have no work to do. I can't, you know, I'm not coding, yes. you know, but I always showed up and I brought them coffee and donuts. And I used to joke with them like I would show up, maybe they were there like at seven in the morning, and I would show up at nine and say, Okay, I, I'm here to solve your problems, you know, you need help with that. And <laughs> make believe I was going to get behind a computer. Like, no, no, Mike, the best thing you can do is not get behind this computer. You know, they would laugh. But I would bring them, uh, and all my leaders would come and in fact the CEO of the company would come in and he saw people "Ah, I know you guys are tired and so he bought and had delivered three or four electronic massage chairs and so he put these in and the people loved them because now they could stand up go sit in that chair for five minutes and get massaged and then go back to work so we did everything so my point is they gave up their weekends and I was there giving it up too. And, you know, I would, I would go down and talk to them for about an hour and then I would go upstairs in my office and, and read a book and then go back down an hour later. But it was not lost upon them. Hey, we're As working, were but Mike is bored to death, but he's here. He's yes, absolutely he's sacrificing
0: here. also he's, his he's, weekends.
1: He's, he's not asking me to be away from my family without him being. And, and so those kind of leadership. Examples uh, are not unique to me. All good leaders do things like that. And literally, I would come in with coffee, donuts, um, because that was that was the way I could add value. I could not <laughs> write code, I could not do QA, but I could. You know, what could I do for you, fellas? To be honest, Mike, could you go to Dunkin' Donuts and get us like five gallons of coffee? I'm like, I can do that, no. you know. And so, <laughs> as a CIO, my mission at that day was to bring coffee. And I was proud to do it.
0: And Mike, for aspiring leaders, what would be your top three leadership tips you would have for
1: them? I got three big ones, Andre. The first one is leaders, again, must always remember that they lead people and manage time, assets, and focus of effort. Leaders fail when they try to lead people as if they were systems or machines. It doesn't work that way. You know, as a techie, when you write code, in most cases, if you do it well, if you hit the button, certain things are going to happen in that application. It's not the same with people. Every person is different. Every single person on your technical team is different. And they must be treated as human beings. So you lead humans. Humans must be led Time, schedules, priorities, project initiatives, those things are managed. But the worst thing you can call me if, as a leader is, are you a manager? Oh, no, no, I'm a leader. I'm a leader with really good management skills. But when it comes to people, I don't manage people. I lead them. And there's a difference. Oh, people ask me, Mike, what's the difference between leaders, leadership and management? No, what's the, difference? the term is used interchangeably. And I say leadership is you lead people and you manage things, time, resources. And, and management is important. You, have, you cannot be an excellent leader without being an excellent manager as well. But you can be an excellent manager. And if you are a poor mm-hmm. leader, you, you are not going to be highly successful. The magic won't happen. uh, So that's the first tip. The second one is what I call the leadership epiphany. Epiphany is a term in the Bible, you know, we're awakening. So the leadership epiphany is the day that a leader sits back in his office and realizes, I don't have to have all the answers. People do not expect me to have all the answers. And statements like, I don't know, and what do you recommend are actually signs of strength in a leader not weakness and yes. the earlier a leader can have the epiphany the better off they are because excellent leaders i mean look at me i took over a tech group of course i had no knowledge so yeah. i had i had to say i don't know what do you recommend could you explain that to me? And those statements by any leader, even knowledgeable leaders, even techies who have knowledge, those bring out the best from your people. So have the leadership. courage. Absolutely. Have the leadership epiphany early. Um, obviously I, not only did I not know everything about technology, I knew nothing about technology. And so I am proof that you don't have to have technical knowledge to be a good IT leader, but for those with technical knowledge, you still have to have the humility and the patience to say, I'm not sure about that. You're more current. What do you recommend? I mean, I, it's been a long time since I did any coding or worked with, yes. what do you recommend? And, and even my department heads who were bona fide technical people, they all told me, no, no, Mike, listen, I've been in leadership positions now for 10 years I don't know as much about these applications as the 25 year old working on them. Like I, I know the concepts and all that, but if you ask me to sit behind his desk and do what he's doing right now, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. I, I, I that's not my <laughs> yeah. job anymore. My job is synchronizing and harmonizing and all of that. My job is, that was 20 years ago when I was actually doing the coding or configuring those servers and things like that. I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. You know? So that's the, that's the second tip. And then the third one is I call the three big questions. Leaders <clears throat> of all ages and experience should always ask the three big questions. And the three big questions are of their people. What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And what should we do differently? And then just shut up and you will get if you have a good culture and people know that you really do want to hear their feedback yes that's you, will, important. you will get incredible answers they'll say well mike you know we we spend three days a month putting together this report and i'm like okay what do you think well mike we're not sure anybody reads it so i would go around <laughs> and ask the exa- hey do you read this report? And are like, no, no. I mean, we needed that seven years ago when the company's in trouble, but right now we don't even look at it. I'm Like, mind if we stop doing it? I'm like, Nope. But because my team yeah. suggested that now I freed up three work days of probably eight people. Oh yeah. So we don't do the report anymore. Or in some cases, the report, used to be you know, 25 pages, and now that there's confidence and things are going well, we can reduce that to a one-page summary of report, you know, one page. And yes. so, but I didn't know that, I didn't know to make that, but it's, it's the people, Andre, if you ask the people at the lower levels, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And what should we do a little bit differently? They always have answers. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but in many yes. cases, they will bring in things that you wouldn't have thought about and it's really easy for you to help fix. So the three big questions, I, I think that, that will, I, I will tell you, it's not only for beginning leaders, I did this as a, as, a, as, a, as a senior leader. And, but as a leader, it's important that you have created a culture that when you ask the question, people are willing to give their answers. If someone says, well, I'm, you know, Mike, I don't think we should do this. If I yell at them and say, hey, well, I, you know, and, and I snap at them,
0: <laughs> no, no, that's that not means
1: good. no one ever again is going to open their mouth. And so look,
0: in the I, army, people don't yell. So in a business contest, you don't, you don't have to do it. <laughs> and let, me,
1: let me throw a fourth one out. And I learned in every organization I ever led to tell people up front you know, one of the biggest complaints people have is no one ever listens to us, especially techies say this. And I tell people, listen, I'm going to promise you something. I will never lie to you. I will tell you the truth. And I will always listen to you. But listen to me. I will always listen to you. But that doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with you or adopt your recommendation. Even sometimes I think you are right. We should do this. And I may go to my boss and he says, Mike, it's a good idea. We just don't have the money to do it. Or he just may say no. And when Mm -hmm. I explain that, Hey, I know you feel like you're not listened to. I will always listen to you, but please don't make that the mistake of thinking I'm saying that I'm always going to agree with you. And I have found when I explain that to people, I'm often the very first person to ever explain that. And I think that's all people on teams really want, Andre, is knowing that they'll be heard. Not necessarily agreed with, but you're going to hear what I'm saying. But that is incumbent upon the leader to ask that question and establish the culture and climate where people are comfortable sharing their views.
0: Exactly. And... You as a leader, you have to be a facilitator and to be able to be a facilitator, you have to have people that tell you the truth, they come to you with everything and they know that you're going to hear them, and that you're going to tell them the truth, regardless of what the decision is or, but they want to feel that, hey, I matter, my opinion matters, it has been considered, you cannot have it your way all the time.
1: Absolutely. And why?
0: Absolutely. I'm really curious, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you
1: I'm going to give you three, so as a, as a marine hey, cool. as a marine, there was a book called "Born on the Fourth of July," and it was written by a marine who was uh, seriously wounded in Vietnam, and he describes after he was, well, he became a paraplegic, he couldn't move and, uh, and at, at that time I had not been to war and as I read this book about all that he was going through I I remember feeling almost sick when I read it like my god this is this profession couldn't be very costly it can be very ugly so it it woke it woke me up especially as a leader like you have to do everything you can to minimize risk and, and employ your unit smart and you know, intelligently yes. and tactically and all of that
0: because you love your people
1: as a leadership book i will tell you the leadership journey andre is i'm, I'm 63 i'll be 64 in less than a month and i'm a student of leadership I and mean, i've i've been in the leadership yes. game for well over 40 years but i'm telling you i i still know more, i know so much more now than five years ago and 20 years ago, and it's not like I was a bad leader. I was always consider myself one of the better leaders in any organization, so I I never stopped learning. Well, one time in my company, in my 50s, they brought in a company here called Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie is a very famous leadership author of the 1920s and 30s, and he established leadership training. Well, there's still Dale Carnegie businesses out here, franchises. So he said, we're bringing in Dale Carnegie. I'm like, okay, all the executives are going to go. So I'm thinking, you know, I was a Marine for 24 years. I'm a leader, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I mean, come on, you know, I mean, Dale Carnegie, you know, I'm (laughs) going to sit there. Well, I went into it skeptical, like, come on. I mean, this Dale Carnegie, by their own admission, was entry-level basic leadership training. But I sat there, and by the end of the first morning, I was like, this is really good. And then they said, okay, oh. tonight they, they gave us a book, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. It's a classic yes. book. And yeah, I had seen do. it before, but I never read it. So they said, tonight we want you to read these three chapters. I'm like, okay. So I took the book home and I got so interested. I read the whole book. I read the whole book, like uh-huh. 25 chapters. And, and then the rest of the next day was excellent. And I realized, Mike, first of all, you didn't necessarily need this because you are an experienced leader. But if you had had this years ago, you would have been even a better Marine leader. And as I looked around to my left and right, I saw leadership, I saw executives who really had had no leadership training and they were into it. They were like taking notes and all of that. So I said, you know what, this is really good. And so I started handing out that book to my people. And so I, I, I consider myself an expert leader, a very knowledgeable leader. I think I can go into any organization as a leader and help make things better. But I, I, I am never bashful about saying that's a really good book. And I learned a lot from that man in my 50s. And he's been dead for 60 or 70 years, years. You know, yeah. He's been gone a long time. So the fundamentals of leadership never change. And the message is you have to keep learning. And even an old guy like me in his fifties got that book, learned a lot from it. So it was, uh, when people ask me about books, I always tell them this story. I've written my own book, I think it's good, but Dale Carnegie's a good book too. Very, very good book. And he, he wrote that book probably 40 years before I was born, You know, 30 years before I was born. Yeah. So it's still relevant and timely. It's a classic. And then then, last, for a personal book, I don't know if this is printed in your country, but there's a classic book called The Millionaire Next Door. And yes, it is. It, it's a classic. And so I like to tell people that, you know, I've done well financially, Andre. I like to tell people that I read this book before I had any money, and I read it a couple of times after I have money. And And the principles apply you know, the whole concept is American is living in a a regular neighborhood and he's got maybe in U S dollars, he might be making $60,000, which is okay, but not, you know, not a lot here, but next door to him is a plumber making $50,000. But after 20 years, that plumber is worth over a million dollars because he drives old cars he doesn't spend a lot of money. He wears clothes, you know, he doesn't buy clothes every week. He goes out to eat no. maybe a couple of times a month instead of five or six, and so he saves his money. It shows how someone making average or mediocre incomes, how different people end up at different places at the end of their lives. And that book is so good that I gave it to all my children, I gave it to all my nieces and nephews, and I think every young person could do well around the world to read that in their teens yeah. and 20s because uh, it can give you really good personal financial habits and all of that. Um, it's just amazing to me how certain people can squeeze so much out of fifty thousand dollars a year, and others are making fifty thousand, but they're spending eighty thousand a year, <laughs> yes. and they're and yes, they're in trouble. You know, so those are my those are my three favorite books in those categories.
0: And and it's funny because we as a society, everybody wants to have more money and get rich, and be a leader of some sorts. And the common view on leadership and how to get rich—they're so skewed it's yeah. amazing it's like it's like only the wrong messages get out and all the good ones yeah. are kept secret. <laughs> secret i don't know why but it just is like that
1: well i agree with that and you know in a in the united states we you know we're a capitalist country and that's a good thing uh, because it, it, it rewards it rewards initiative and all of that and i tell people you know if you get known as a good leader and you can help teams produce cons- consistently superior results, you will never lack for a job. And in yes. this country and in industry, the higher you go as a leader, the more compensation you get. So it can be quite lucrative to be a, a, a business leader in America. That. Yes. Now that said, you can't go into leadership with the sole desire of getting rich.
0: For money, yes.
1: If, if you <laughs> go in and say, I'm going to be a good leader the financial part usually takes care of itself. But every person that I've ever seen that started out said, well, I want to be a leader because I want to get rich. They they tend not to be a good leader and they tend not to get rich, you know?
0: They love money, they don't love people. If you love people, the money comes.
1: And you know what, Andre, I've realized over time, getting rich is is a unique thing to every person. I have a friend who might be the happiest person in the world that I know. And I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if he even gets paid. He is, he takes care of a, uh, a camp campground in upper New York state. And it's on a big lake and he's got a cabin and every day he puts a picture on Facebook. He's out on the dock and the lake is there. He's (laughs) drinking coffee and he's just happy
0: happy
1: and i'm not even i'm not even sure that he gets paid for that they might like give him a house and he lives there for free and he takes care of the campgrounds you know and i also know people i also know people that are worth tens of millions of dollars and they're They're miserable miserable. just miserable so it's good to have money but rich is more than money it's not just money yes yeah You have to have happiness, you have to have health, you have to have people you love and people that love you. If you don't have those, I don't care if you have $10 million in the bank, you're not going to be fulfilled.
0: You're not going to be rich, yes. Yeah. And Mike, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go?
1: Oh, thank you, I I have a website. My, My company's name is Fidelis Leadership Group. Fidelis is a Latin word that means faithful. And yeah. the Marine Corps motto for the last hundred years is Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I, I use Fidelis. Anybody that knows anything about Marines say, okay, this guy was a Marine. When they see the company in my name, okay, this guy was a Marine. <laughs> so it's uh, FidelisLeadership.com. I have a heavy presence on LinkedIn and Facebook. I post three or four times a week on LinkedIn. I publish a lot of leadership articles. On, on LinkedIn. It's just Mike Etor. My last name is spelled E-T-T-O-R-E. So I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. And, uh, and I'm starting in July, uh, Andre, maybe even by the time this is published, the Fidelis Leadership Podcast. And the, awesome. pod, and the podcast is much like yours, uh, but not isolated to techies. It's for anyone that aspires to leadership excellence. So I'm in the process now of doing you know, interviews of leaders and coaches and experts and innovators and all of that. So Fidelis leadership pocket, there'll be a link to it on my face, on my uh, LinkedIn profile yes. and the website and I'll be putting stuff out, but I think uh, people that are interested in your podcast will probably be interested in this because it's, it's free and it's all about sharing leadership, leadership. knowledge and, yes. and, and, exactly. and getting better. Um, and then finally, I, I I did publish a book last fall uh, called Trust Based Leadership, Marine Corps Leadership Concepts for Today's Business Leaders. And you can find that on Amazon and all the major platforms. And that's a big book, 550 pages. And yes. it is how I was able to apply Marine Corps leadership concepts, the things we've been talking about in business. Because I, I tell people I I, I lead people in the business world the same way I led Marines. And that's always a shocker to them. I said, no, no, people are people. I said, I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't threaten people. Yes. And by the way, I'm not the only military person that has done well in the business world. It just shows you that leadership is leadership. Andre leadership is leadership. Yes. You know? People are people. And so I don't know your language but I think that I could move to Romania, they put me in charge of something, and if they give me an interpreter, I can help them get better because I'm going to treat them well, ask the three big questions, You know, sure. rely, rely on my people, and, I, and, and so if, if I could do that without speaking your language and knowing your culture and customs, anyone in your country listening to this Certainly can elevate themselves as a leader. So this book, for sure. uh, this book, and that's what I wrote the book about. It's it's really a textbook for my coaching programs. I'm going to have some online courses soon, but I I do executive coaching. I teach executives, and then often they invite me to make a program, leadership program for their entire leadership team. And so it's it's really a, a textbook for that.
0: That's amazing, Mike. And I'm going to put links in the show notes to your website, LinkedIn, and the book. And I highly, highly recommend people to get the book to see how exactly real leadership is in the Marines and not the movie version because the movie version has nothing to do with reality.
1: Right. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. it's my pleasure. I hope uh, I hope the, this episode uh, adds value. I hope at least one person oh, f- yes. gets, gets something out of it. But uh, thank you for the invitation. It's been a pleasure.
0: It's been it's been my pleasure also, and I love the conversation. Bye. Thank you. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh. You can find further info and materials in the show notes on techileadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.